As we build and you go from year one to year two and the adversity we've dealt with, uh, I, I think that it's going to set up a great spring, summer, and a great beginning for our future and, and building this program into uh, continuing to build it and continuing to grow it like every, every coach has that's been here over the last 40 years. I'm really looking forward to that. This is the Sean Miller Podcast, presented by Deer Park Roofing. Now, here's your hosts, Paul Fritchner and Adam Baum, with the head coach of the Xavier Musketeers, Sean Miller. Welcome back to another episode of the Sean Miller Podcast, and we have a special one for you today. And This is uh, a podcast that Sean has wanted to do. It's one that's near and dear to his heart. And it's, it's near and dear to my heart, too, because I've gotten to know these young men over the years, being around the program, seeing how valuable they are to the success that you guys see out there on the floor every game. And they're the Xavier men's basketball managers. Um, they're a special bunch. Today, you're going to get Sean and four senior managers together. They're going to talk. You're going to get a great idea of how important they are to the program. They're called the backbone for a reason. I think today people will get a great understanding of why they're called that. As always, the Sean Miller podcast is brought to you by our friends at Deer Park Roofing, Payroll Partners, and TGE Solar. And stick around for the end of this episode where I'll talk to Sean. We'll get an update on the season to this point and what's coming in the pipeline. I think fans will get a kick out of that. Today on the podcast, we're uh, blessed to have what I, I consider uh, four incredible guests, very meaningful to uh, this year's team here at Xavier. But, but also, I think the bigger picture is just um, the backbone of our basketball program. And we refer to this group of guys. And, and by the way, uh, there's more of them than just these four, but they're the backbone of our operation in so many ways, not only during this season, but you would be surprised out of season, how helpful they are. And I think in so, so many ways, they separate us as a program, make us efficient and allow us to be <clears throat> the most successful that we can be. And uh, fellas, welcome to the Sean Miller podcast. I, I, I appreciate you guys taking the time out of your busy schedule, academically, all the different things you're doing as managers in our program and all four of you our current managers. I probably should have started with that. But I, th I think a good way of, of starting here is I just want you to be able to kind of introduce yourself and uh, you know who you are, what year in school you are, and you know the hometown, where, where did you come from, and, and maybe even the high school that you graduated from before you came to Xavier. Wait, we'll start with you. All right, I'm Michael Witt. I'm from Cincinnati, uh, from the west side in Bridgetown, about a half hour from here. Uh, I grew up a huge Xavier fan, so to be a part of the program has been amazing. I uh, went to Oak Hills, and I'm studying marketing. I'm Paxton. I'm a senior sport management major from Boston, Massachusetts, and I went to Brimmer in May for high school. I'm Isaac. I'm a senior here at Xavier. I'm a digital media and advertising double major with a minor in film and television. I'm from Meadville, Pennsylvania, and I went to Meadville Area Senior High School. Uh, and I'm Max Meyer uh, from Cincinnati, Ohio as well. East side, uh, 20 minutes away uh, from Anderson Township. I went to Turpin High School. Uh, I'm a sports management major here. And uh, I mean, same as Michael, grew up a Xavier fan. So it's been a dream come true to be here in the program. Max and Witt, 
a lot of people outside of Cincinnati don't understand the difference between going up on the west side and going to Oak Hills versus the east side. Explain it as best you can how you see it as as the difference. As I I think it has some rivalry connotations to it. I think that the guy the people who are on the east look at themselves as being different than the west and ditto for the people in the west as they uh, look at who they are versus the east. So go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I'll say about my east side. I feel like we're a little bit, you know, we have the privilege of like having the nice areas, the country clubs around us. Um, uh, I think I think the west side's a great area. I guess you could call it more grittier than the east side. But uh, Cincinnati, it's like high school. Like a lot of people still talk about it, which is not common in a lot of areas. So I think that just tells you a lot about how like we look at our schools and like where we grow up. So. So you would say that what the West Side's more blue collar than the East Side. Yeah. The people in the East are a little softer than the people in the West of Cincinnati. Yes. Would yeah. you? And as you look at Max, do you feel that it's that in fact is true? Oh, I would agree with that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. With Mario Mercurio, has been a fixture as a part of our program here at Xavier for more than twenty years, and we all know Mario well, West Sider himself. He told me that youth sports on the West Side is very similar to SEC football. That it's that serious, that the parents, the coaches, the youngsters, the, you know, you're in fourth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, when you're playing youth sports on the West Side, it's, it's incredibly competitive. Mm -hmm. What yeah. would you say to that? I would agree with that. Um, I played up till probably eighth grade and then I realized it wasn't really that good. So that's why I started being a manager in high school. But I would agree with that. I mean, I've been cut like twice from my select teams and still tried out, finally made it the third time. It's just like, I think like that's how like big U sports is, is like you want to play for the best teams and all that and be super competitive. And then, you know, found out I wasn't good enough. So I was a manager and it was a great thing in high school. So you have the youth development, but you also have like the Catholic schools as well, right? Mm -hmm. So the Catholic schools at a young age are Catholic elementary schools on the west side. They're competing against each other. Yeah. Um, a lot of Catholic schools, like elders, like a big. So public schools like Oak Hills, like you have a lot of athletes like play there in the youth groups and then like they might switch to elder like in high school. So like it's really competitive, like mm -hmm. especially with Catholic schools, they have a really high like prestige for their sports. So mm -hmm. I would agree with that. I think that's one of the cool things about Cincinnati because, you know, when I was here some time ago for the eight years prior to leaving for Arizona, you know, my three sons were all in youth sports. And, you know, whether it was young football or lacrosse, uh, obviously basketball, especially youth baseball, you know, I think the Cincinnati Reds loom large in our city that, uh, you know, that's what you know. You grow up like that and you think it's like that everywhere. When we left and went to a different place, you're like, where, where's all the youth sports, the, the seriousness, the the leagues, the the you know the different things that I think you guys grow up with. Uh, it wasn't the same, you know. It, it was different. And uh, and Max, what do you think when you just kind of growing up on the east side? Would you would you say it's the same as how he described it on the west? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, especially like on the east side, the Catholic elementary schools like meant a lot. Yeah. Like if you went to Immaculate Heart of Mary and played basketball there, like everybody knew who you were. Like right. I was in maybe fifth or sixth grade and I knew who the kids were that went to Immaculate Heart of Mary. Yeah. 
or guardian angels. And, you know, I went to public school growing up, so I never got to feel like the competition of like what it was like to play for a Catholic school. Mm -hmm. But I knew like that it was really important if you play for those schools, Mm -hmm. which I thought is a really cool thing. I think it's still like that. Yeah. Isaac, growing up in Meadville, that's, I know it because I grew up in Pittsburgh. Uh, That's Erie. That's Lake Erie. Uh, Very, very cold. You know, when you think of Meadville, PA, before you came here to Xavier, what stands out? Meadville, PA? Wow, it's the heart of Pennsylvania. You know, we have, <laughs> we have around 10,000 hardworking people there. You know, not many people actually know about us. When I came to Xavier, and whenever I say I'm from Meadville, not many people know about it. So usually I just have to say Northwest Pennsylvania. But it's still a piece of pride. You know, you got to have some pride in your hometown, the Meadville Bulldogs. Uh, they have a lot of good things going on up there, but they might not be the most well-known. Yeah. So, Isaac, growing up in Meadville, not far from Lake Erie, um, there was a documentary a few years ago that, that I happened to watch. At the time I watched it, I lived in Arizona, and it was a way for me to say, ah, something about Erie, you know. And, you know, again, growing up in Pittsburgh, not that far from Erie, Lake Erie, I know all about it, Meadville. The Burnetts, Michael Burnett and I are the same age. A long, long time ago when we were leaving high school, you know, he was one of the best players in the state of Pennsylvania, had a great career at St. Bonaventure. Uh, when I went to the University of Pittsburgh. So Meadville, I, I get Meadville and the pride and that. But there was a documentary called Evil Genius. And there's a McDonald's. I'll just leave it at this. There's a McDonald's in the documentary that's really important. If you haven't seen the documentary, you either hate it or you'll love it. Uh, do you know what McDonald's I'm talking to? I, I feel like if you go through Erie, you had to have stopped at that McDonald's. Yeah, I think... When you're in these smaller areas, you always have your typical landmarks you pass and stop at. Yeah. So that's one of them, the McDonald's. Yeah. If you haven't, if, if you guys seen Evil Genius, have you, Isaac? I haven't watched it. Okay, yet. I'm gonna give you some homework. You need to watch it and report back. See what you okay. think. All right. Sounds good. Pax, Boston, Massachusetts, uh, obviously much different than these guys. I mean, you have two Cincinnatians. East, West Side. We talked a little bit about that, and uh, you know, here with Isaac, Lake Erie you know, coming from Meadville High School, you coming from New England. And um, what is it like for a New Englander to come to Xavier? And I'm curious, what drew you to Xavier? So it's definitely a little different from being out Northeast. The weather sometimes still the same, like right now, it's freezing out. But um, what drew me to Xavier was definitely the basketball program. I wanted to work in a high level Big East basketball program. And I definitely wanted to study sport management which is there's not a ton of schools that have both sport management and high-level basketball. Like, I want to become a manager. So that's what drew me to Xavier. I grew up in the city, in the city of Austin, so I definitely wanted to be close to a city, not somewhere in the rural areas. But um, that's definitely what drew me to Xavier. I, I really believe that's one of our strengths at Xavier. You, you have the best of both worlds. You have this small Jesuit private school with a really intimate campus where I think everybody seems to know each other. You walk into a classroom, the professor knows your name. You obviously know the professor and you, and you know your classmates. It's, it's a, an amazing way of getting a great education. However, you're not in a small college town where that's all we have. It's just the opposite. You know, you have the diversity of a huge city. You have the professional sports scene, whether it's the NFL and the Cincinnati Bengals, 
um, and get to see the Steelers once a year when they visit the Bengals. You have the Reds, which, you know, it starts up in the spring. I don't think people completely understand how big the Cincinnati Reds are. We now have Major League Soccer. Uh, we have another Division One University, UC, and their campus, which isn't far from ours. Restaurants, the Ohio River in northern Kentucky, and all that I think northern Kentucky has become over the last 20 years. But uh, all, all of you guys speak to that just in terms of life as a student here at Xavier, how much you leave this campus to, to explore in the city. Because, you know, for those who don't know, we're, we're just a few miles, I think, really on what the, the, the eastern northeast side of Cincinnati. Um, you can access the city in quick five minutes. Um, I mean, I'll say about the city is like, it's crazy to see how much the city has grown and how much like people have really poured into like being downtown and really enjoying the city, embracing what we have downtown with the Bengals and the Reds. Obviously coming up here is opening day and that's a whole ordeal downtown. And I just like like growing up here, I know like early in my life downtown was not as popular. Not many people went downtown. There weren't very many good areas downtown and it's really cool growing up seeing the evolution of everything downtown that was a huge difference for me max you know over the rhine when when uh, i was here in the early 2000s what that looked like what that felt like uh and in what it's become is just incredible it, it really is some of the the places that we all can go and the restaurant scene there i, I really think it's changed cincinnati dramatically and it's for a student at Xavier, too, it just continues to offer what we're talking about, the best of both worlds. You have this setting on campus, but all of us at some point, you want to leave it and go do something else. You just you have that opportunity, regardless of the time of year. Exactly. And I think like for me, especially like now being older, being in college, I'm able to like go downtown and really like understand where things are at and understand and be able to go in places that I've never been able to go before. And I think it's really awesome to be able to explore like that. Pax, back to Boston. I think people who grew up in New England, you know, they say Boston, they say Providence, Hartford, all the different cities that, that New England has. But you oftentimes hear them refer to themselves almost like you're from New England. Like, yeah, the city itself, but you all share because the states, the size of the states are, are so small. Um, you know, being able to drive, I mean, you got a couple hour drive where you can be in how many different states? Yeah, I've been, there's like five states around that you can get there within five hours. You're obviously so close to New York too, that you could just take a train to get down there to see sporting events there. Like sometimes I follow the Celtics down there. That's my favorite yeah. team to go see them play the Knicks or the Nets or something. So it's just really good to be close to so many different states and so many different things. Yeah. So your, one of your big roles as a manager is, you know, we, we practice, man, if you start it in the summer, go through the entire fall, and now here we are late February, I think I'll be fairly accurate between 120 to 150 times, we'll have what we call, you know, a real practice where we're trying to improve our players and, and, and become better as a team. And I think you're about 150 for 150, 148 for 150 in terms of you deal with me on the practice plan, you deal with the clock management, 
and you oversee basically the beginning of practice when it starts, the segments along the way, and in, in a lot of ways, you keep us on track. You're almost like the quality control guy during that one hour and a half, two and a half, three hour period of time, depending on the time of year. And I always ask at the end, right, Pax, how long were we out on the court? Could you talk a little bit about that? Maybe something you've learned, what you and I do during that period of time that I'm sure people on the outside would never even think of. And let's start with the green pen. So every time we get a break and Coach Miller wants to know how long we've been going, how long the practice has been, or each segment, he always comes over and asks for this green pen, always the Brad Stevens pen because it's right. Celtics green. Brad is a great coach, great guy. Uh, respect him tremendously and knowing that your background is with the Celtics. So we deal only with the green pen in terms of writing the correct time on the practice plan. Yeah, so whatever segment it is, we just write down how long it's been and then how long the total practice has been just to make sure we stay on track and reach every little bit of practice that we try to at the start of the game. And then for the clock, I you gotta stay locked in. It's one of those things, you're sitting there, you're not always like on the court involved in practice, but you can't let that horn go off. You gotta stay focused and make sure the shot clock's the right thing for every different drill and just work with you to keep going no i mean we change the time on the shot clock constantly so i look over packs 24 seconds 30 seconds which is the game sometimes we have segments where we want 12 seconds on the shot clock and then the actual segment itself so you know i think that the way i look at it is practice planning there's a template you set out to accomplish these following things for this amount of time and this is the order that i want to go in what would you say that and you would know better than anybody. Do I? Am I 100%, 90%, 80%, 50%? How would you describe what we set out to do and what we actually do, regardless of the time of year? I'd say we probably hit 80% of the practice plan because sometimes drills take longer and you want to focus on things other than others. But you always, you always get a good day out of them. Like We always have to stay locked in and make sure we accomplish something. Every day. Yeah. Well, I, again, what you do, like quality control coach, quality control, you know, being able to have somebody completely dependable, somebody that knows what we do and how we do it and is efficient. You know, there's a lot of practice environments that have multiple people trying to do what you do. Maybe they don't do it nearly as well. And that affects the efficiency of the organization. Now, I think the other thing you and I always do is, Pax, what's the length of time we are out on the court to the minute? And you have a separate watch where you go, boom, and you're always able to tell me. If you would say your best guesstimate, and I know it's going to be very accurate, we're usually out on the court roughly. I'd say probably like 150 would be my best yeah. estimate. 150. Mm -hmm. I think some people would be surprised at that. I think they would think that we're out there a lot longer. Certainly the players think they're out there a lot <laughs> longer. But, you know, I think it's hard to go less than maybe an hour and 30, but usually our hot spot, if you're really working and you're efficient, you're moving from one segment to the next without a lot of downtime, which we try to do, um, I think 150 is a good marker.
The Sean Miller Podcast is proud to partner with Deer Park Roofing, a company that's provided elite service for homes and businesses since 1996 and leads the industry in professionalism, quality, and responsiveness. Whether your needs are residential or commercial, like the outstanding work on the Cintas Center, the home of Xavier Basketball, Deer Park can handle any job and ensure it's done right. Deer Park's motto is protect what's important, and what's important to you is important to Deer Park Roofing. Visit DeerParkRoofing.com. You know, we talked about what, what Pax does, and he does a lot more than, than that. But I, I think quality con- control on a daily basis is a big part of who he is and what he does. And, and if I didn't see him sitting there, it would actually bother me. I've gotten used to him being there, and we have the green pen that, that we work together on, and the efficiency of every day is so important. Max, what would you say... Uh, the different tasks you do, but maybe the one thing or the two things that stand out a little bit more from a time spent perspective, your investment that you do the most. Um, you know, for me, it's like these past couple of years with you being here, I've sort of learned a lot more about the game and really understanding of like, you know, how we flow through practice and how things go into one thing which creates the whole operation to go better. And one of those things for me is like helping create that transition be seamless and, you know, making sure as a manager, our guys are getting what they need during practice and making sure our group as managers understands what they need and making sure that our managers understand that when our guys need something, it needs to be done without anybody noticing. It just needs to be done quickly. They need water, get them water. They need towel, they need a towel. Just something like that so they can stay focused on what they need to do. A lot like PAX, though, your role inside of a practice, you know, we have a couple what I would call everyday segments, drills, that define, you know, uh, every program team has like a do what we do. Like this is, this is our core. This is what we're about. When you play us as an opponent, you should talk about this is what we do. And I think pace is a big part of what we're trying to build and establish here at Xavier, playing with great pace and being efficient with it. We have a drill which we call five-on-five five change, which I would say if we don't do it 75% of the time, I would say we probably do it more than 90% of our practices, right? And I almost look at kind of like PAX being the quality control person for the whole of practice, when we do that drill and drills like that, the pace, which is usually at the beginning of practice, I look at you as being one of the quality control people there, right? So it's, what do I ask you? You ask me, well, first you tell me how many trips we're going to do, which means how many times they're going to get the ball and they're going to take it against the scout team. Um, typically it's set number maybe 8 to 12 times. So I'll basically just yell out, what trip we're on, how many points we have, if we have any turnovers. So eventually at the end of the segment, five on five change, I'll yell out eight trips, 11 points, one turnover. Which is great. We're looking for more than one point per possession, and we're certainly aware of turnovers because when you play fast and turn it over, it's a disaster. You know, it's, it's it, a lot of times that ball's going the other way for a dunk or an open three-point shot. So part of teaching a group of guys to play fast with efficiency, with responsibility, we do it through that drill. Isaac, what would you say, 
and I already know the answer to this, but what is it that takes up the, mo the most time in the role you currently have as a manager? Yeah, so in my role, I take a lot of photos and videos of the team from practices, games, travel, team events. And then part of it is taking the content, but also editing it, sorting it, making sure we archive it in ways that's easy to pull up in the future because everything, historical events, you know, we got to make sure we can go back and grab those and all those notable moments that we've been having here at Xavier. So I think specifically, let's use Quincy Oliveri as an example. Quincy's going to be with us for one season. And, you know, if you think about him, he, he's got basically a month left, a month and a half left, and it's going to go by really fast. He's been awesome for our team. And yet, his time at Xavier is going to go by very quickly. When he got here in the summer and we had our international trip to the Bahamas and then we got into the beginning of the school year, the fall semester, non-conference, Big East, and pretty soon we're going to be in Madison Square Garden at the Big East tournament. When you talk about like cataloging those moments, photos, videos, signature moments, think about the signature moments he's had as a, as a player one of the things we really try to do for our players, and we're now allowed to do this, whereas years ago, I don't know if from an NCAA rule perspective we were, we're allowed to give them what we've, the pictures we've taken, almost like I would look at it almost like it is their own specific individual library, right? Between videos and pictures, and they have it for the rest of their life. Correct? Yep, they can have it. We give them folders. They can download whatever they want. Quincy specifically, he's probably has at least a thousand photos of himself from the time he got here over the summer. Yeah, which is awesome. I mean, again, you know, it's an experience that they have in their own mind. But when you think about, for example, how he performed in the Crosstown shootout and winning that that game. And, you know, he only gets an opportunity to play in one Crosstown shootout. So it's like, how do you bring to life what it felt like? a year from now, 10 years from now, five years from now, you know, what you do for each of our players, they have that forever. Yeah, and I think that's important because we have access, Miles and I, we have access that the public doesn't have, other photographers don't have. So we have to give the people something that they can't see. You know, we have to give them a look from our eyes. We have to tell the story of the team. And because we know the players on a different level than the other photographers, like, they'll interact with us different. We know how to catch their different. We know their tendencies. Mm -hmm. I know when Quincy's about to hit a big shot and come celebrating right back in the other way. I know where to be on the court to capture that moment specifically and have that memory to share with the world. Yeah, no, it's, again, I, I think you do the work sometimes in that area of two people, maybe even more, and the time you've spent is incredible, uh, really. Um, Whit, what would you say from your perspective, and I got the answer there as well, uh, time, the most time you spend as a manager, where do you invest the most? Um, I work a lot with film, so a lot of our managers do as well, but past like four years I've been here, that's mainly what I do every day. So for managers, we have like pretty much three things we focus on, practice, our games, opponent games. So for a practice, we record our practices, We'll break it up into drills and cut out all the dead time. So, like, when you have a two-hour practice, it's only 40 minutes on the computer yeah, when you're and, watching. You know, whether this is good or bad, this is my way. And there are coaches who do things differently. And it doesn't mean what I, what I do is right. But I've only done things one way. 
I don't know if I've ever had a practice that I've been a part of as a coach where I haven't watched the practice after it's over. So when you say that, like the downtime, I click on segments. So, for example, if I want to watch our scouting segment against Providence and just that, you know, back in the day you had to fast forward or rewind it or try to figure out where to go to find that segment. Now it's just I click on basically what I would call the row that, that says it and you have it spelled out, scouting. And I go right to it and I'm able to watch 10, 12, 14 consecutive possessions. And it's amazing what you see after going through a live practice and you think you're on it and watching closely. It's amazing what you can see later that evening, which then helps you become more efficient as a coach, teaching your players individually. A lot of times, based on what you do, I'll then be in touch with Dante Jackson, Coach Jackson, and say, look, I watched the Providence scouting segment. Dalen was in the wrong place a couple of times in this part of it. Could you go back over that tomorrow before practice or when he has time? Could you steal that clip? And by the way, Dante has it on his computer. And the next thing you know, he's able to teach Dalen, communicate to Dalen what he didn't do right. And that's isn't that why we practice, so that we improve? So when you talk about filming practice, I, there are places maybe that don't film every practice. Certainly, I think there's coaches that don't value watching him. Uh, that's something I spend a lot of time on. So that's practice, and that's, by the way, in the, in the summer, in the fall, and in the spring. I mean, we, we always film what, what we do and try to watch it. How about the, from a scouting perspective, being more specific? Because that takes a lot of time. Yeah, so all our assistants are elite on a scout. So whenever, whenever it's their next scout, we want to make sure, like, they have all the games they need ready so they can watch. And we just make sure, like, everybody's computer's prepared, uh, your computer's prepared, and – it's, again, just like taking out the dead time in the game. So it's the 40 minutes of basketball on the court, broken up and in possessions. And it's just all about making the file efficient for you guys to watch and just making sure you have that so when you're ready to watch it, it's on your computer. Yeah. Awesome. And, look, I, I, I say this to you guys all the time. We refer to you as the backbone. I, I don't know if there's a group of managers anywhere in the country that impact the success of a team and a program more than you guys do. And it's not just you four. Obviously, uh, you're the leaders of, of your group, but uh, you do an amazing job. And each one of those areas, when I listen to you describe it, you know, the pride and the efficiency in the manner you attack each of those areas, you think about it, you know, from which you do just in terms of the scouting and the files and the games and the film and the video impacts in addition to way more things than, than what we talked about, but like the quality control on an every single day basis. You know, Isaac, just the ability to give to our players something they'll have forever that separates us from a lot of other, other programs. And, you know, Max, the same thing. I, I think that you're touching almost every single thing that we do as a, as a team and as a program. And you guys impact winning. The Sean Miller Podcast is proud to partner with Payroll Partners, where you're not just a number. That means providing a best-in-class HR and payroll experience that was built on award-winning technology and live support customer service with a dedicated payroll specialist who's just a phone call away. 
You shouldn't have to choose between technology and customer service. At Payroll Partners, you get both. Payroll Partners is locally owned and operated by a proud Xavier alum. Visit payrollpartners.net. That's payrollpartners.net. So, Max, we'll start with you. Um, I think my relationship with the managers is uh, very present. I feel like I know each of you. I know you four better uh, than some of the younger or first-year managers, for sure, which happens uh, over a long period of time. But uh, the familiarity that you guys have with our staff, myself, and, and vice versa, uh, I think it's really a cool thing. Um, I look at our staff and our players and our managers as just – three tiers, none that are that much different from the others. Uh, who you are, the value you bring, the sacrifice you make. Our team obviously speaks for itself and our coaching staff, obviously, you know, we're responsible for the group, but we all three work together. And I think that's when it's beautiful. That, that's when it's magic. I think that's when we give ourselves the best opportunity to have the most success when we work seamlessly together. That familiarity that you have also comes the direction with me. Do you have any questions that you could ask me? I and mean, this is the Sean Miller podcast. I kind of run the show. If I don't like it, we'll edit it out. Okay, yeah. I mean, <laughs> but, or something that you think that you've become aware of that you, you didn't know it could be a, an idiosyncrasy. You know, but we, we talked about uh, with PAX, the green pen. You know, nobody knows that why a green pen, what does that mean? It's just something that kind of gets us from one day to the next. What would you say uh, stand out about me or different things you didn't realize or habits? Uh, and, and maybe you can make me better by bringing yeah. a couple things up. I mean, I'd say I probably have two. So I'll ask the first one. It's kind of funny. And I think you'll think it's funny as well. What and when did the Mike and Ike's Swedish Fish and Hot Tamales start? The good stuff. <laughs> right. So the good stuff is something that started probably, God, maybe more than 20 years ago. And it, it, it's, it's nerves. And it's when you watch film as a coach, you know, sometimes you can almost put yourself to sleep. So, you know, I, some coaches may drink alcohol. Some coaches may eat chips. I, I just feel like some coaches, like, you have to do something because it just – 30 minutes become an hour, an hour becomes two hours, and two hours becomes four hours. And, and guess what? The next day doesn't represent much different. For, so for about four-month period of time, you're, you're watching film at different settings. But where it gets me is especially on the road because, like, you don't have a whole lot going on. A lot of times you're in your room, you're watching film, you're nervous for the game. So I started to, to, to say, you know, I like candy, Mike and Ike's. That was kind of my go-to. And then hot tamales is a version of Mike and Ike's. And you mix the Swedish fish in, and, uh, you know, that's called like a spicy, you know, uh, spicy tuna. Yeah. You know, like when you think of spicy tuna on the uh, sushi deal. Yeah, okay. That would be a Swedish fish wrapped around a hot tamale. Okay. But I can go to work. Back in the day when I was younger, uh, as you guys know, I mean, I could clear a number of boxes. Certainly not healthy, uh, not good for me, not good at any level. Probably better than some other alternatives. But, you know, a couple hours go by quickly. And, uh, yeah, the good stuff, which the managers, I think managers at Arizona, managers, you guys all know what that means. Oh, yeah. But I have really improved 
the quality of the quantity that I that I intake on that. Would you would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that's something that I've noticed like over the past year. It's honestly been impressive for me. It's like, you know, last year, maybe like during the season, maybe towards the end of the year is like, you know, a couple boxes of the good stuff. We're going after meal and then after film later that night. And now it's like, you know, maybe he'll grab one box of hot tamales right. later at calms night. my nerves. Yeah, <laughs> it's probably weird, but yeah, that's my that's my stuff. Yeah. yeah, no, but you guys have Swedish fish, hot tamales, and Mike and Ike stacked, and I oh, think yeah. I've even directed you to kind of keep it away from me, trying oh, yeah. to be better. Definitely, I definitely remember a couple. So that's points the one last thing. Year. Yeah. So the second thing, I just wanted to ask, like, for you. It seems like every day, no matter what's going on in your life, what's happening around you, you're always going to show up and be the same exact person you were the day before. Just the same attitude, the same mentality. You know, you're going to bring it every single day. Where does that come from? How did you grow into a role like that? No, thank you. And I'm glad to hear you say it because, you know, one thing about college basketball, it can be very emotionally driven, a big win, a tough loss. Uh, I think it's important. And one thing that you learn is if you could ever do this and eliminate the final score, I think you have the best chance of having the most success because the final score is so emotionally driven. It's so personal. And the result is very black and very white. A win takes you far this way. A loss takes you far this way. From a fan perspective and in a world that we all live in, players, coaches, managers, a reaction to a big win versus a reaction to a tough loss. Wow, it's like, it's, it's crazy. And what it can do is it can divert you from what's the most important part of what we do, and that is every day. So, you know, back to PACs. How we practice, the planning of practice, how we look at each segment and really dial in to be the best that we can be in that segment has nothing to do with whether we won or lost our last game or whether we'll be able to win or lose the next game. It has everything to do with are you teaching, are you coaching, is the intensity at a level and accountability at a level that's going to allow us to be the best that we can be, the player that we're coaching allow him to grow and develop so that he's the most ready for the next challenge. So I think from my perspective, you know, in some ways it's kind of like kill or be killed. And what I mean by that is in sports, obviously, you, you have to be relentless in your approach to the process. As you grow older, I think all of us as coaches understand that more clearly. Doesn't mean we do it any better, but if you veer off too far to the right or too far to the left and you're driven by the outcome of things, I think you can be really inconsistent with what's the most important, and that is who we are every single day, regardless of the time of year. Where did I get it from? My dad, who was a high school coach, kind of growing up in the house that I grew up in, sports was really important. It reminds me of, of Witt talking about growing up on the west side, you know, western PA, it's about high school sports. Um, you know, where I grew up, Mike Ditka, Joe Namath, Tony Dorsett, Joe Montana, Jim Kelly, and I could keep going. All of these athletes in these small towns that really just loved youth sports, high school sports, and became who they became 
kind of growing up in that area. So my dad being a high school coach, you know, I think one of his gifts that he gave us as his kids is, you know, the, the understanding of how great sports is and how to go about the process of winning. Isaac, anything stand out story-wise or just, you know, something that you think's weird, cool, not cool? Yeah, so I think we've already talked about how we're a connected team from the top to the bottom. And I think some people might wonder, like, what does a coach and the photographer have in common? And we learned this very early on that we can both juggle. Yeah. And that's something that we've been able to bond over. We've juggled after yeah. practice before. We've taught a couple of our players how to juggle. Yeah. Even at our kids' camp in the summer, we put on a little performance. Yeah. So I think that's something really cool that might, uh, everybody might not know about. Yeah, for sure. We actually have a, a, a couple balls here. We can, can back up our claims so everybody understands yeah. the credibility <laughs> part. But, but Isaac, let me just say this to you, full disclosure. I haven't run into too many people that can really like outperform me when it comes to juggling because I don't think a lot of the population even knows where to begin to learn how to juggle. So it's not like we have a civilization of a lot of jugglers. <laughs> yeah. But I was really surprised and shocked uh, when I saw you. I really, I, you're, you're the one of the best that I've ever seen. But uh, yeah, let's, 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 let's try it. <laughs> Stop renting your power, own it. TGE Solar makes it easy to purchase solar panels for your home or business so you can take control of your monthly electricity bill and start saving today. They'll help you find the best solar system to meet your needs, and their expert in-house installation team makes the process seamless. They're proud to be based in Cincinnati, family-owned and operated by a Xavier alum. Mention this podcast and save $1,000. Visit tgesolar.com to request your free energy evaluation today. We have the triangle, right? Triangle being like the top of the triangle, left hand, right hand, and you constantly just try to hit the top of the triangle and just move it, right? Quick, quick. You can go higher and lower, right? And then you're gonna leave me here in a second here, but how about one over top? One over top, one in the middle. Tim, when you get older, it's not as easy as it once was. I will tell you that. Right? Then you got the magnet. <laughs> and this is where you leave me. This guy's unbelievable. Go. Yeah, to be able to go in a circle is just crazy. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. I mean, when he gets on the ground and he juggles it while he's on the ground is the most Oh, the guy's the best. <laughs> <laughs> All right, good. So we got some juggling. <laughs> Pax, any questions for me or anything stand out, observations, just, uh, you know, take yeah, it. Yeah, so I have a question. Yeah. So we're all seniors. We're about to start life after school. Got to find out what we want to do. When did you realize you wanted to be a basketball coach? So um, growing up, in, like I mentioned, my dad being a high school coach, uh, I was always – First of all, like loved I, I loved the game of basketball at a very early age. Sometimes I almost didn't realize how much of a part of me it was. Uh, when I realized completely how much I loved the game, it would have been a couple years ago when almost the first time in my life since I've been maybe seven years old or eight years old, um, I didn't have a team 
as a player, as a coach, assistant coach, head coach. Like I, it's like, wait a second, I, this feels weird. Thanksgiving felt weird. Christmas felt weird. Uh, good in some ways, right, because you had no responsibility. But when you're a basketball coach or player, Thanksgiving and Christmas is still a very busy time. That's right in the middle of our season. But that's when it really, really uh, hit me. But so with that, um, as I started my journey into college and played in the Big East, again, I think it's one of the many gifts that I've had in my life to be a part of the Big East Conference as a student athlete. Think about the coaches that were in our league back then. John Thompson, the Hall of Famer. Jim Calhoun, Hall of Famer. P.J. Carlissimo, you can make the case, could have become a Hall of Famer, but he left to be an NBA coach. Raleigh Massimino, a Hall of Famer, national champion. Louis Carnesecca, St. John's, Hall of Famer. So if there, there might even be a couple that I'm missing, but just think about Jim Beheim, Syracuse, Hall of Famer. So you're like playing against those coaches. You're, you're in a conference with them. And I think all of us could really see the impact that they all had on us as people, as players, the relationships that, that they formed with their players as they grew older. And at some point with me, what clicked is I'm going to run out of time playing because quite frankly, I, I, I don't run fast enough. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm good, but I'm not that good. And my days of playing are numbered. But when you look at it through the coaching lens, you're like, wow, I could do this for a long, long time. Still be a part of the game, impact the game and people and players in a big, big way and not have to run, not have to do the different things that you do as a player and be judged by that. So you're now judged by your hard work, your mindset uh, and those things, your organization versus sometimes how tall you are, how athletic you are things that can limit your career as a player. So I would say about my sophomore or junior year in college, I knew that I wanted to stay in coaching. I also was impacted by one of my assistant coaches, John Calipari. He recruited me to Pitt, um, somebody that I knew for a long, long time. We grew up in the same area. And then he left Pitt to become the head coach at UMass. But because he recruited me and I watched how he did things, he inspired me in a lot of ways to want to stay in the game and become a coach? Good question. Whit? Um, my question would be, what has changed at Xavier the most since the first time you were here, or how have you changed since being here at Xavier? What's changed at Xavier the most? Uh, no doubt about it, the conference that we're affiliated with. You know, we were in the Atlantic 10, and I, I don't want to minimize being in the Atlantic 10 because when we were in the Atlantic 10 that first time, not only terrific coaches, John Chaney, Hall of Fame coach, at Temple, Phil Martelli had a team that actually was a number one seed in the NCAA tournament led by Jameer Nelson. Um, I, again, I could keep going on. Carl Hobbs was the coach at George Washington, and some of George Washington's greatest teams were during that period of time. Um, and we were really good, too. So it was a great conference, but being in the Big East where we're at today and looking at this conference, it reminds me of the conference that I was a student athlete in. The coaching, uh, the teams, the investment everybody has made across the board. Around Robin League, so we play everybody twice. 
everyone at home, everyone on the road. It's a 20-game season now. And then obviously the Big East Tournament in Madison Square Garden, there's nothing like it. So I just think the competitive element of the conference we live in is much, much different than, than the conference we were in back back then. Um, I would say this thing, the thing that's the same about Xavier, though, Witt, is what it feels like on game night in the Centos Center. It's hard to describe to people the pageantry, uh, the student section, how it feels when we play a Big East game, when we play a home game here in the Centos Center. I'm, there's very few places that are like it. I have one question for you guys. When we have a 30-second timeout or a full timeout and we have to get chairs out on the court or chairs taken off the court, et cetera, I feel like it's a source of pride with you guys, the speed that you operate with. Do you think that our group of managers is the fastest in the nation at being able to transition from live action to a timeout and from a timeout back to live action? What's the standard? Uh, I feel like our operation is really good. I mean, from personal experience the last two years, everybody knows what they're supposed to do. And we always are really communicating behind the bench of when we need to be ready. So as soon as we realize, like, the next whistle is going to be a media timeout, you have your hand on your stool. As soon as that whistle blows, you're tapping the player on their shoulder, telling them to get up so we can pull the chair and get out there. We pretty much have, like, developed a, almost a stream of, like, who goes out first, who follows, and then it just goes back and forth. All the stools are set up by the time we're ready to sit down. When I was an assistant coach at NC State in the 1990s, Coach K would have been in his prime as Duke's head coach. We were both in the ACC. And I never forgot the image of watching Duke's managers work. It was actually intimidating watching how fast they were up from behind the bench onto the court. At halftime, they would sprint off the court and I thought they set the tone. Like, it was almost like, wow, when you play Duke, this whole thing is different. I feel like we have some of that going on. Absolutely. And I feel like that's the standard here at Xavier is, like, you're representing something bigger than yourself, and you have to take pride in what you do. And I think for all of us and the rest of our crew, it's like we take immense pride, in, you know, setting up the timeout or rebounding before a game, whatever it is. I think that's part of, like, you know, the standard here. Well, you guys are amazing. Uh, we call you the backbone for a reason. And, you know, for me, uh, the people that I respect, maybe as much as any any other group of people in college sports are the managers. Uh, you know, I've hired quite a few managers. Ryan Reynolds, who's uh, one of our director of basketball operations, that people that was nowhere near you guys. He didn't work as hard. He didn't move <laughs> as fast. Uh, I, I don't think his responsibility on an everyday basis was anywhere near what you guys bring to the table. Uh, I, I don't think he was is anywhere near the team player that you guys are as well. And yet, I, I thought enough of him to hire him. So <laughs> you can imagine the respect that I have for, for you guys. But you do an amazing job. Uh, love having you. And I have no doubt that when you leave us, that your sacrifice, your time management, the education you've received here at Xavier, in addition to the second part of your education, 
being a part of this of this team sport, uh, it's going to serve you well, and you're going to go on to to have very very successful, respective careers. In my time of 30 plus years in college basketball, I cannot tell you the managers that were a part of the programs that I was a part of what they're doing today. They're doing amazing things. So, wish all you guys a lot of luck as as time ends for you here. And uh, look, we have a stretch run. We're all trying to finish strong. Thank you for everything you do. And, and let's finish strong together. Thank you, Thank Coach. You, Coach. You got it. Coach, I, I love that episode because I think for me, I spend more time in this building than most people. And most of the time I spend in this building is with the managers. Um, I have friendships with them. I know how hard they work. And such high quality people that they are. So I think it's cool that you wanted to highlight them and have them on your podcast. But as it pertains to basketball, your team is 13 and 12. You're seven and seven in the big East. You just are coming off a loss at Seton hall where your team gets a week off. Seems like it came at the right time. You know, Adam, I, I sure hope so. Um, you know, I, I thought that our performance at Seton hall, um, was in a different category simply because, you know, we didn't have it at the jump ball. And, you know, you could point maybe towards our at UConn game as an example where we didn't have it at the jump ball. But but I think that as you look at UConn, who they're becoming as a team, playing them in a Hartford at noon, our team versus their team, um, you don't want to lose by that type of score. But I think you understand things like that happen over a 30-plus game season. Seton Hall is ready. They have a veteran group. They were coming off of a, a defeat at Villanova where they lost by more than 30 points three days earlier. They have a lot of pride. They've played great basketball. You know, In my mind, I think Shaheen Holloway has done as good of a job coaching his team this year in the Big East as any coach. Uh, they were ready. They set the tone. Their physicality, their toughness, that game is over in eight minutes. And when that happens, I think it's important that we take inventory on our end of why is that. We had played 11 games in 35 days leading up to the Seton Hall game. I think nine of the 11 would, would be what we call A games. And to some degree, this break has come at a really ideal time. Keep this in mind, our last break was before we ever played a Big East game. We were the team that was selected to have the break over Christmas. So when you have that first break before the league play starts, you're going to go a long, long time before the next window uh, comes. So having done that, I think there's a couple things we're after. One is recovery, giving the guys an opportunity to have fresh minds and fresh legs. When I was a younger coach, I would not have put that as, as a priority. To me, there's nothing more important moving forward than allowing our team to feel that way. So we've worked hard to establish that. I think number two is we have to become better on defense. We've been uh, kind of a under the radar defensive team this year where we've won several games because of our defense, Adam, and it's slipped the last really two or three weeks, we're easier to score on. And for us to have success in February and March, we got to be more of a tough-minded defensive unit playing with more energy and effort across the board. We did not have that at all against Seton Hall. I think that's number two. And I think number three is 
we have to systematically get our confidence back so that when we play Providence on Wednesday, you know, we could be the freshest, the most ready we can be, but also the most confident because we've played some really good basketball this year. And when we've been at our best, we're capable of beating any team that, that we play. I think we've, we've proven that. So going into this final stretch, uh, I think Wednesday is a huge game. Uh, we need our crowd to be like they've been all year. I have no reason to expect it won't be that way. And uh, I think that Wednesday playing a Providence team that's very good, playing for a lot, um, it will be a, a big kind of start to this last six regular season games. Adam, the, the other part of, of our season this year is I'm incredibly proud of what we've been able to accomplish to this point. It's not something you talk a lot about during the year of just the excuses. I feel like sometimes, you know, every team that, that's not where you wish you were has their excuses. But I go back to a year ago. We had Sule Boom, Adam Kunkel, Colby Jones, Jerome Hunter, Zach Fremantle, and Jack Nungy. And not one of them returned. Sometimes when I look out there and I found myself doing it when we played Seton Hall, you see Kadari Richmond. You see Alamir Doss back. Uh, you look at who's playing the best for Seton Hall. A lot of those guys were on last year's team. You know, looking at who Desmond would have been last year as a freshman and watching him grow into who he's become as a sophomore. He's the one and only player that we had on last year's team. So when you're going down the home stretch here, uh, I think all of us have a lot of pride of finishing what we started off We've overcome a lot of different things, but can we overcome it all the way to the end? And then when that ends, you have the opportunity to take a deep breath. And I think like as I build our program and our staff builds the program and you look at the importance of this spring recruiting, returning some of these, these players that have gotten so much great experience this year and now they return back where you're not reinventing a roster of 10 again. Now you're adding maybe the right two or three to a group of players that have been with us before. For example, when we played in the Crosstown shootout this year, we had one player, Des, who played in a year's earlier's Crosstown shootout. Everybody who played in the game, that would have been their one and only shootout. I'm looking forward to having a group that you could say, hey, seven players from a year ago's team contributed in, a, in the Crosstown shootout. I, I think like retention and experience is, is so important, but as we build and you go from year one to year two and the adversity we've dealt with, uh, I, I think that it's going to set up a great spring, summer, and a great beginning for our future and, and building this program into uh, continuing to build it and continuing to grow it like every, every coach has that's been here over the last 40 years. I'm really looking forward to that. I am too, coach. Well said. Um, you know what I'm most proud of? We are now, we're 18 for 18. This is our 18th episode. We haven't missed a week um, through everything. You guys make it easy. You, you, you really do. When you said podcast, I said, what happens when we lose a game? I lose my mind. But you learn that this is part of it. And what, one of the things that I enjoy about the podcast is simply that we could talk about our program and we could talk about former people and players that have impacted this place in, in such a great, a great, a great way. Yeah, man. Um, it's been a lot of fun. Obviously, we couldn't do it without the help of our sponsors, Deer Park Roofing, TGE Solar, Payroll Partners. And we couldn't do it without everyone who watches, likes these shows, subscribes to these shows. 
And, you know, we're going to keep these going. So I look forward to it. Thank you very much for your time today, Coach. Thank you, Ed. This has been the Sean Miller Podcast, presented by Deer Park Roofing, with your hosts, Paul Fritschner and Adam Bound. Join us again soon for another episode with the head coach of the Xavier Musketeers, Sean Miller.